Hi, everyone. So today we have Anthony and Mike joining us here. They are sound designers for feature work and virtual content. Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Hi, doing well, Rebecca. How are you? Doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah. Mike, where are you today? I am in uh, downtown Los Angeles. All right. And how about you? I am in West Hollywood uh, in my home studio right now. Cool. Cool. Okay. So I want to get right to it. Um, We haven't had a lot of guests on with sound design um, background. So I'd love for you to first, Anthony, maybe you could go first. Tell me kind of your role. You two are both a duo that have worked on really big films, Emmy nominated stuff. I want to first start out like just getting to know the roles that both of you work when you work collaboratively. So maybe, um, Anthony, just tell me kind of your title and what you do on most of the projects, and then we'll go to Mike. Yeah, my main role is uh, is supervising sound editor on most projects. So it's kind of my job to meet with the director of a film or TV show and and go over what they're looking for for sound, what they're looking for, what they want to hear, what how they want sound to help tell their stories. So that's kind of where I start. And then I work with Mike. Mike and I have worked together for years. And I go to him, I go, Mike, all right, this is what the director's looking for. Let's start cutting sound. And so we'll, you know, Mike and I will play stuff back and forth off each other and go, all right, that sounds cool. This sounds cool. And I, I'm also in charge of, you know, making sure studio, making sure we have our studio time. I'm, I reach out to our Foley artists that we have, you know, it's supervising sound editors. You're kind of, Got your hands on all sorts of things, but um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you're you're the supervising role, so you just make sure that every sort of producing it too, in a way, I guess. Yeah, in a way, yeah, and it's a very collaborative process. So it's like I said, Mike and I work together all the time. So it's like, well, you'll go, okay, this is what this is what they're looking for. Let's do this, and Mike will cut great stuff, send it to me. I'll review it, or I'll cut in stuff, and we'll go, all right, this is this is great, and we'll just keep hammering away until we get to the final mix stage. And Mike, could you give me just a little top-down view of what what you do on a normal day? Yeah, uh, my role uh, with Anthony has been sound designer. And uh, I've heard sound design defined in a lot of different ways. Uh, I think that really every project has a different sound design demand. Um, I've heard it explained like, oh, sound design is like everything, dialogue, sound effects, everything except music. And I don't think that's always true. So um, for like on a typical day, you know, I'm working with Anthony or I'm working with a director and we're trying to figure out creatively what the movie, what the project should sound like. And I just worked on a movie with Anthony where I was the supervising sound editor and the sound designer. And so a lot of that was additionally coordinating with the director as well as having creative conversations throughout the entire project. I see. And Anthony, you got your start in horror, right? Wasn't that like sort of one of your first projects many, many moons ago? One of the very first projects. I, my good friends, uh, Jordan Harris and Andrew Schrader, went to college with those guys. After college, they went off into the woods and shot a horror movie. And I was looking to do sound. There was, I was very interested in doing sound. And so they came back with this movie and they're like, hey, you want to try, you know, take your <laughs> yeah. stop at doing sound for this movie? And so I was, a, you know, 20, 21 year old, 22 year old going like, sure. Uh, and just trying to figure out my way. I haven't listened to the movie in years, but, you know, I, I was pretty proud of the work back then. And then, yeah, that continued. So, yeah, we've done, Mike and I worked on another a cool Stephen King uh, Netflix movie, 1922. Like in the movie we just worked on, Onyx the Fortuitous. 
which is getting ready to have its premiere at Sundance. That's another horror movie. The horror movies Mike and I always talk about are so much fun to work on or just... A lot of fun sound work you can do on horror movies. I was going to say, yeah, we'll get to that when I, I want to talk about sound effects and sound design for, for various genres. So, Mike, how did you get into audio? Well, I think a lot of sound designers come up because of their passion for music. I'm a huge Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nails fan. Oh, and yeah. so when I was like 11 or 12, I started getting into that, which is really, which is funny because he ended up becoming an Oscar winning composer. Um, but his music back then was very, very sound design heavy, very moody and cinematic. And I remember hearing that and uh, it just blew my mind and I wanted to get into that. So I found the local recording studio in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, worked there for three or four years and kind of got into that, but then ended up getting a passion for adding sound to video. And uh, when I when I matched those two together, I was just like, holy, it was just amazing. So... That was it. Yeah, that was it. I mean, I moved to LA and I started working on, at a post-production studio on the Fox lot. And uh, yeah, met Anthony and then it all kind of fell into place. And so on what project did you guys meet? We actually didn't really meet on a project. We had uh, mutual friends. Um, there's this uh, monthly, I guess you want to call it screening, called uh, Channel 101 in LA. Very popular. It's created by Rob Schraub and Dan Harmon of Rick and Morty fame and community fame. And it was a just a monthly thing where you could make episodes. And anybody could make a five-minute episode of a TV show. And it would, if it got into the screening, it would, it would air and people would vote. And if you won, you got invited back to the next month sort of thing. And I remember that's where Mike, uh, we had a mutual friend and we met at Channel 101 and then just kept hanging out, going to parties and stuff. And then I think it was a minute before we realized that we both were interested or that we both were sound guys. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah. I love that. So to talk about your most recent, the one that you just mentioned, which I'm not aware of, um, what did you just come off of that's premiering at Sundance? Uh, It's called Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. And it's directed by a guy named Andrew Bowser, who I've been working with for over a decade. And what kind of genre is that? It's kind of like fantasy adventure. It's got some like horror elements to it, but uh, yeah. Sundance describes it as amateur occultist Marcus J. Trilbury, a.k.a. Onyx the Fortuitous, is struggling. He's misunderstood at home and work, but his dreams for a new life soon to be answered when he lands a coveted invitation to the mansion of his idol, Bartok the Great, for a ritual to raise the spirit of an ancient demon. So that's the movie we just came off of. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, sounds like there'd be complicated soundscaping for audio. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's definitely like the the absolute biggest, uh, most ambitious thing that I've I've worked on. Yeah, and Anthony, you were supervising on that too. Yeah, Mike and I co-supervised on that title together. So, so what was the biggest challenge in that? You said it's like the most ambitious. What was something that you sort of grew into on that film? I think the sheer scope of it. There's a lot of practical puppets in the movie, which is really cool. A lot of practical effects. Um, so. I guess like every single reel had just like multiple. I mean, I, I remember like one of the first things I tackled on the film were the doors in the mansion that he goes to. And it, I mean, even those are just like incredibly designed, loud, massive doors in the entire movie. And there's so many of them. And I spent, you know, just a week on just the thunder and the lightning sounds. And that's not even getting to all the different, like there's a mind meld scene, uh, you know, with a demon. And then there's a, big nightmare scene with with another demon there's a lot of ghouls and so i mean it, the list goes on and on but just something like that you just start making and, and it's a low budget independent film that was uh 
Andrew Bowser used Kickstarter to fund it. So, you know, we don't have a, uh, I don't know, Anthony, what would you say? We didn't have a crew at all. It was just us. So it was just a list that we just had to tick, tick off. Two guys and it's just like, okay, here we go. You know, that's a working in our industry. Sometimes you either don't have enough time or you don't have enough budget mm. and you're trying to figure out how to make it work. And you will always want to make the product the best you can. You want the directors to be excited. You want to be happy with your work. And so it's definitely, a, it's always a fun challenge. Yeah, you're competing with $100 million, $200 million movies. And you're using also those movies to reference your work as well. So, you know, (laughs) people that have so much time, so much money, and you're just like, I need it to sound like that. It just has to sound like that. So, uh, but I know me and Anthony are super, super proud of the work we did on that film. And it it was a lot of work. And Andrew Bowser and Olivia Taylor Dudley, who stars in it and produced it with Andrew Bowser, they were so great to work with. So it's going to be a lot of fun to premiere that at Sundance. That sounds really ambitious. So I guess rewind for a sec. If we can talk about Weird, the Al Yankovic story. I watched that. Oh, of course. Yeah, and that <laughs> right. was nominated, right? We just got nominated for an MPSC award for Best Sound of the Dane for a non-theatrical feature film. So we're... Um, Congratulations. Let's hope. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. We're super excited about that. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested. I watched the film. I'm really interested in um, your process. If you could lay it out, say for engineers that maybe don't work in this. So this seemed to have like so much. There was like live music performance in it, a lot of effects. There was a lot of crazy sequences. And the comedy was punctuated so often by sound effects, which I had never really noticed because I don't know. I just. I haven't really watched a film critically. So I wondered if you could kind of start at the beginning of how you chart out a project like that and how you differentiate all the sound needs between like audio and and music segments and then the design segments and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. That was such an amazing project to work on. Mike and I can't say enough good things about (laughs) that movie. It started, I met the director, was able to read the script and... I just, as I was reading it going like, usually you get a script and you read it and you kind of start thinking about sound ideas immediately in your head. You're going like, okay, what are they looking for? What's going on here? And yes, with Al, with it being a Weird Al movie, I knew music was going to be featured heavily. Like there's all the big audience, there's the, you know, scenes where he's playing in a bar, scenes where he's playing in auditoriums. So it's like arenas. So you know, okay, this is going to be very involved. And so I met with the director and met with him, talked about what he was looking for, what they were wanting for in in the movie. And then we had a spotting session where I watched the movie down with the director, you know, with a very rough sound edit. Their editor did an amazing job of just doing a rough little pass. But so I'm there and we're talking and just you go, all right, for the big LSD sequence, we're going to want, you know, giant, massive, crazy fire and all sorts of, you know, machinery sounds and all sorts of stuff. And you go, okay. And then with the music, Weird Al himself was very involved with the music. And it, it was very important to him that, the music sounds like it does when he's performing live. So a lot of those live performances, Al actually re-recorded all of his old songs for the movie. So we were able to get original. So we were able to get stems for oh all my those God, sections. Yeah. So we had you know separate drum tracks, separate bass. You know, we had Al's accordion on its own track, and so it was amazing to have all that freedom when you're in the mix. So. Mike would cut great audience sounds, tons of crowd stuff. We had Loop Group, which is a very special process where you get a bunch of people together in a in a room, a large recording studio, and you record a bunch. I think we had like 10 people together in a room, and you have them recording crowd sounds along to the movie. 
So for those moments you're mixing, okay, well, let's make this music sound like it's big in an arena. And then we got to mix in these crowd sounds and you have all these layers. And so that's just for those music sequences where you're dealing with those. And so those are a fun challenge. And then, like I said, then you have big fight sequence in the uh, in a diner scene. And it's like, okay, now let's cut all these fight sounds. And we had to make sure that those sound big and great. And uh, what was fun about that is we had Daniel Radcliffe come in to re-record a bunch of his fight sounds. So you'll hear, you know, when he's punching guys, he's going, Ugh, uh, and, you know, the loop group that I mentioned earlier, you have those guys kind of mimicking the... Um, the guys that are getting hit. So, you know, it becomes, then that's its own little thing where you're like, okay, we're going to focus on this this fight scene and we got to make this sound good. So I think that was the best part about working on Weird is that there was so much different variety in the movie to work on that it was like, it never felt, it was like, oh, here, we're doing this big fight sequence today. Like, okay, now we're going to do this big uh, car crash sequence here. It just was, you know, Mike and I will both say it was such a labor of love, that movie, because we were both Weird Al fans the entire crew on that movie, Eric Appel, the director, such a great guy to work with. It was just everybody was doing their best to make this as cool as possible. And so, no. Yeah, yeah. And so you guys generally are never on the actual production days. Yeah, you're only post-production. Yeah, it's a... Um, sometimes you might get lucky to be hired as a post-sound guy before the movie starts shooting and you might get a chance to go and and talk with a production sound guy. But uh, a lot of the times, you know, we're getting hired while the movie's in post-production, so. Got it. I didn't know that. Well, I would have loved to, sorry to, sorry to bring up Onyx again, but I would have loved to have gone on set for Onyx because I have a friendship with the director, but he shot it on the East Coast. So I didn't even have an opportunity. So just so you know, I mean, I would love to actually visit set and record some stuff on set, but sometimes it just doesn't work out, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a budgetary thing. If, you know, if yeah. you're working on, a, let's say, a, Fast and the Furious movie, those guys have, they know they're going to be working on the movie months in advance. So they might go to set or they get to and record stuff, you know, but um, we didn't have that luxury on Weird, but it's totally fine, you know. <laughs> it's all, all time. And generally, that's not the protocol, right? You, usually, you guys are all post and you get after yeah, the fact. Yeah. So when you were talking about, when you're saying mixing, how do you mix all the stems specifically? Do you guys subgroup them? So when we're cutting, so it's kind of like when you have Pro Tools and you just have all your, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of tracks in Pro Tools. So you'll have your set of like dialogue tracks, which is all dialogue that's lying on these tracks. You'll have your ADR tracks, which are just your post-recorded dialogue sort of thing. You'll have Foley tracks. And then with effects, Mike and I, we, we always talk before a project, we go, okay, these are the needs of the project. Let's try to make our effects groups fit with that. So I think for this movie, we had like a crowd effects bed. We had, you know, like you'll have a BG bed. So all your BG sounds lie on their own tracks. Can you define BG for people who don't know? Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, uh, backgrounds. When, you know, when you're outside and you hear birds chirping or you hear cars driving by in the distance or a car horn, you know, that's, uh, those are BG sounds. And then of course you have your music tracks or then you have, and you have Foley as well. For those who don't know what Foley is, think of like footsteps when you're walking, you're not really paying attention to your footsteps. But if you see a movie and you don't hear footsteps, it's something you, you like notice. You go, oh, that's what that's missing. So Foley artists record that. They also record all sorts of fun stuff. I was just curious about now with all the sound libraries there are, how do you make that determination of when you have to do Foley and when not, when it just matches motion? Or Yeah, that's something I talk a lot with our awesome uh, Foley artist I work with all the time, Sonic Kelly. She Sometimes if we have limited budget, it might be the sort of thing where I go, okay, we'll have to cut this. We'll find a sound effects library and try to cut this ourselves. But if it's something tricky that's just very 
that you can't find in a library or it is just very, if you're holding the keyboard, like I got a keyboard in my hand, you're like holding it and you're fumbling it around in the scene. You're not going to be able to find a good sound effect library to match that. (laughs) That's true. I would never have thought that. So you go, hey, Sana, I need this little prop recorded and she'll do it. Her and her team will do an amazing job and get that recorded. So that's kind of fully... As as a sound designer, sound editor, I'm always looking for like stuff that I that needs to be like very big. I've explained it to somebody as like I'm handling all the periods and exclamation points, and Foley's handling all the commas. You don't want to sit there and edit like Anthony's saying, someone fumbling around with a keyboard. That's just too much to do. But like the big moments, the big punctuation, the, the exclamation points, the periods, I'll handle usually all those. And sometimes in the final mix, the Foley's playing on top of the sound effects. So once you have all those elements, then you go to the mix stage and then you have your mixer. In this case, we had Tony Solis, who is a fantastic mixer who Mike and I have now worked with on multiple projects. Three things last year. He then wrangles everything together in a giant... Usually you have like multiple Pro Tools rigs, you know, synced together. You'll have a music rig, you'll have an effects rig and a dialogue rig. And depending on project by project basis, you just start the beginning of the movie and you go, all right, let's start. And you go through and you go in chronological order, you know, and you, you start hitting those moments and Tony will do, do his pass and then we'll play it for the director and the director will give notes and then we'll do another pass. And then after a week or so, you kind of have a, the movies in a good shape where it's starting to sound like a movie. And then you watch it again and you do more passes and do and more fixes. And then once you get down towards the end, that's when you start going like, okay, let's go back to that fight sequence and do that fight scene again. Or let's go back to this, the LSD sequence and rework that a little bit. So that's kind of how the, the workflow goes when you're mixing a movie. So, And what's the common, if you're going to go back and rework something like that LSD scene, is it just levels or is it just automation or what is it that you often have to rework? It's funny that that sequence, that was just one of those that just, it just kept growing and growing and growing. When you watch the offline edit, which has their sound effects on it, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It's just uh, what is it like two and a half minutes or, you know, five minute sequence. Okay. Yeah. I'll just do this, whatever. But every layer I kept putting on that demanded five more layers. So when you're doing something like that, it's just, it just starts getting away from you and you're like, oh my God, this is, I thought it was one scene. It's actually seven distinct sections that all require like a lot of individual attention. So um, I have an example on that sequence which is there's a machine in that sequence that shows up a lot. It's the uh, industrial shredder that gets alluded to throughout the movie. And it actually, at the end of the movie, is featured in a moment, (laughs) a very intense moment, but it's in the real world. And I remember trying to design the sound for the industrial shredder in the real world. And you're trying to throw like machine sounds on top of it and all these industrial recordings and things like that. It just wasn't sounding great. So I ended up going to the LSD sequence first to tackle the industrial shredder sound. And it's interesting because because it's a dream, which I say hallucination, I attacked it from a different standpoint of like, oh, well, it can be anything, you know, it can be completely abstract and surreal. We can get away with it. And so I, you know, there's like metal screams and like growls and I took a serrated knife and I ran a spoon on the end of it and it made some interesting sound. And that is what ended up being the sound of the industrial shredder. And so what what happened is I took that from the hallucination and just used those elements in the real world scene and it worked perfectly. So I feel like that's kind of a good lesson and just like approaching sound design almost always from an abstract perspective Anyway, that kind of goes back to your question of like what needs to be reworked. I mean, 
for me in that sequence, it was a constant evolution throughout the process. Yeah. And so like Tony does a great job of mixing all those elements that Michael was just talking about. And then you watch it down and you might go, oh, let's try lowering this thing here and having the music dip up. So that's kind of what I do. When you go back and you're reworking things, you have all these layers and you're just kind of like, oh, that sounded really cool, but why don't we try dipping all the music out and all the sound out here so it's just very quiet at the very end, that scene where the egg jumps up and it's just... It's like a, it's vacuum, like a vacuum in a way. And yeah. So it's like, oh, let's do that. Let's cut out all the sound. And so it's just mixing movies is such a... you could. You could have months and months to mix a movie. You could be so much. You can have so much fun going like, oh, you know, it's like mixing a song or anything, or you're just going like, oh, let's add reverb to this thing right now just to punctuate this moment, or just all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, which is a perfect segue into. I wanted to talk about the song exploder work that you did. So, were you guys doing the podcast or the Netflix video stuff or what? So we just worked on the Netflix series, the video series. Uh, funny enough, Mike and I were hanging out Mike, uh, a while back and Mike was like, oh, you got to check out this podcast. It was at Sundance. Yeah, we were at Sundance and Mike was like, you got to check out this uh, podcast song. And I was like, yeah, 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 this is cool. And I listened to a couple of hours. So it was rad. And then uh, the studio I work for, the Formosa Group, I got a call from their sales department. They're like, oh, there's this uh, new Netflix series. Uh, it's called Song Exploder. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Based off the podcast? Yeah. So I was like, Based off the podcast? And they're like, yeah, you've heard of it? And I was like, yeah. And so I remember texting Mike and I was like, oh, we're going to be working on the Song Exploder TV show. And so it was... Uh, pretty fun experience. Yeah, working on that. We didn't work on the podcast, but working on the TV show is, you know, it's a very similar format. And, you know, so we got the music stems and, you know, they then did a bunch of visuals and they shot, obviously, interviews. And so, you know, it was back to, like I said, it's like, okay, let's wrangle all these different elements and see what they're looking for. Do they, how bold do they want to go with sound on their visuals versus, you know, or do they want the music to be the the main star? And so, yeah, that was a really fun project to work on. We, uh, yeah. It was shot really cinematically, so there was a lot of room for interesting abstract sound design punctuation. And so, yeah, that was really fun. And also, as a massive Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nails fan, it was really great to work on that episode about Hurt. I was just going to say, did you? I know, I wish that you had been on location oh. that day just for to loop the full circle, but funny. So did Hirshikesh Hirway, was he kind of your director and everything? Or is there a... Pro- okay, so he fully owned the whole process. They had directors and producers on the show, but uh, he was very involved, obviously, all the way 100% through the whole process. You know, it's his baby. So he was there giving notes and on the mix stages and everything. He was so much fun to work with. So It was a pandemic project. So the first two mixes, uh, we got to hang out and have fun and everything. And then uh, the rest of the episodes all had to do, be done remotely. Yeah, the first two or three episodes we did in person, and then that's when everything hit. And I remember we were supposed to do the Killers episode. We were like, we literally had the mix stage ready to like go do the Killer. We're doing the Killers episode this week, and then it was just like, nope. All right, uh, let's regroup and figure this out. So, yeah. <laughs> so when you say the mix stage, can you describe what that studio's like for doing design work like you do? So for for mixing movies and TV shows, you want to be mixing in an environment that is similar to how people are going to be hearing it. So, you know, a lot of theatrical mix stages are the size of movie theaters. We'll have our speaker setups that are that will match what people are going to be hearing in a the theater and you're mixing. So you're mixing our edited tracks, Mike and I's edited tracks, we're mixing those now to sound big and cinematic and make sure that they're they're going to sound good in a the theater or that they're going to sound good on the TV. So that's kind of what, you know, we're doing on a mix stage. So 
I've been doing this for almost, uh, I guess I've been doing it about 15 years and it's still so much fun to walk into a big giant mix stage. It's always, it's always a thrill. It's really impressive to be on a mix stage and, and it's really great whenever we've been working for, you know, weeks on something and to invite the producers in and people in to watch it in this theater and it just sounds so massive. So yeah, that never, that never gets old. Yeah, that would be great. I could imagine it being akin to a director seeing their stuff for the first time on a big screen. Oh, it is. Like, they've been working on the movie since the get-go. You know, they've seen it. They've been a part of the script. They've been a part of producing or, you know, production. Then they've sat there and edited it. And then it's so, it always feels so good when a director is watching the movie and they're like, it's a movie now because we're the last step. You have color correction, which for videos is like the last step. And then you have audio mix as the last step. And it's just, it's very exciting to watch the product come together at the very end and everybody gets super excited. Yeah. And la- last question about the um, Sound Exploder show. So because it did have such iconic tracks and stems, how much of that process, did they have music engineers send you subgroup mixed downs of that? Or were you actually remixing some of those? Or how did you work with the music files and was management involved, I'm sure, with artists? The management stuff, all those rights and everything were, you know, those were figured out before it got to us. But we were given all the original stems from all the masters. So we had, for Trent Reznor, we had all those individual tracks. That's always so much fun to like pull it on the track and go like, oh, there's the drums. Let's just solo the drums. Like, and you have, you have them and like, oh, let's listen to the bass and see what they were doing. And so our mixer on that, Tim Hoganacher, he did an amazing job and, uh, yeah, it's like a thrill. Okay, so that so Tim's the one that would mix audition. Yeah, 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 that's that's really iconic and cool. And so yes, if they're talking about the bass, obviously the bass is the prominent section of the of the episode or that part of the episode. We're gonna mix the bass up and do you know we might tweak it a little bit to get it to poke out a little bit more on like TV speakers or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I highly recommend your audience goes to check out the episodes because the songs play at the end of each one in full with like kind of a lyric video that's playing on on screen. But Tim basically remixed each one in Five Once Around. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's really impressive. So I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, if you can listen to it in Five One, please do. Yes, yeah. <laughs> always. Yeah, I know, not on your phone. <laughs> no, no, yeah. That was the problem when we, when the pandemic hit and we had to mix the rest of the episodes virtually, we couldn't all be on a mix stage together because of obviously because of restrictions and whatnot. And so it was hard to, you'd get notes and it would be like the downside of the mixing in the post pandemic world is sometimes people will listen to stuff on laptops and you go, Oh no, it doesn't, you gotta listen to it on the big speakers. You know? So yeah. Yeah. It's nerve wracking as an engineer. I'm sure you're like, you make sure you listen to them on good stuff. Oh, my <laughs> girlfriend goes crazy. Cause I'm like, She'd rather just watch TV or watch movies on TV. And I'm like, no, we got to go to the theater. I got to go listen to this in the theater. I can't, I don't want to listen to this at home. So I guess as we're kind of wrapping up here, I wondered um, if you wanted to talk about the Selena Gomez project or Desi, which project do you think our listeners might want to hear more about? Well, Lucy and Desi is great. And Selena was a lot of fun too. Uh, Selena for the music, you know, side of things was fun. You know, the documentaries, it's, it's really more focused on her mental health. So there's not a lot of music stuff in that, you know. There were some really cool moments that Mike designed in that in that movie. A little less robust for documentary work, I would imagine, in general. I mean <laughs> No. <laughs> Mike's shaking his head. No, like, it, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I let Mike chime in, but yeah, we've we've had this discussion a bunch. Mike and I have worked on a, a wide variety of documentaries. You might get a documentary that's just very basic, but then, you know, sometimes documentaries are more challenging than 
or not more challenging, but just as challenging as a giant big budget feature, you're doing so much. There's so much to do in a documentary. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is no matter what, you want to fill out whatever project it is, documentary and narrative feature, you want to fill it out cinematically. You want it to be an immersive cinematic experience. You know, whether or not it ends up that way after the mix, I, as a sound designer, want it to feel that way when I'm when I'm editing it and designing it. So yeah, whether or not it's a documentary, you know, everything... I'm adding all the layers. You know, there's abstract sequences in documentaries as well. And I'm filling that out, making it sound interesting. And even the Lucy and Desi documentary, there was a lot of archival footage that had to be filled out with uh, soundscapes. So you might think you're watching, not to destroy the illusion, but like an old 50s recording or video recording. But now, you know, all that birds, all the talking in it, it's all, that's all something I laid in. Uh, yeah, and Lucy and Desi is a great example is that or a lot of that footage is from the 50s doesn't have good audio or you know there's no or Zero there's audio. no audio for some of the, or for some of those clips and so it's up to us to kind of help fill in those gaps and the director on that Amy Poehler was great to work with and she gave amazing notes on like I think there's like shots of like old studio audience crowds from the old Lucy and Desi shows there's no audio for that so you know we're sitting there adding in studio chatter and stuff like that that you don't that's just not there but you got to do it tastefully enough where it's not you know you want it to match and so yeah so you there's those challenges when it comes to documentaries as well so a funny example from Lucy and Desi is I actually laid in sound effects for the I Love Lucy sitcom Again, you might think you're watching the I Love Lucy sitcom with the original soundtrack and everything, (laughs) but we had to beef it up a little because all the new vocal recordings done with the interviews on Lucy and Desi, those are big, beefy recordings. And then the sitcom plays and you're like, oh man, it'd be great if that water splash was like really loud or that plunger hit to the face sounded like a big smack. So we still beefed up the soundtrack to the sitcom itself. There's also an Escape from Cuba sequence about Desi Arnaz leaving Cuba. And that's kind of, we. I designed that like an action sequence. So yeah, if your audience checks that out, they can hear it. Great. And last thing too, Mike, I'd love for you to talk about what you do in YouTube and the tutorials yeah. that you do with in-depth sound. Yeah, so I guess like almost five years ago, I created this uh, Instagram account called In-Depth Sound Design. And I've always been fascinated growing up. I mean, me and Anthony have talked about this before, inspiration for our careers were DVD special features. I remember like the Terminator 2 special edition DVD was like film school. And then the Lord of the Rings 4, 6 DVD set came out. That was like film school in itself. And they all had like little sound featurettes where they would break apart the stems and break apart sounds so you can hear all the layers that the sound designer did to create them. And so, you know, DVD special features are like going away and you see a lot less of that stuff now. And I just wanted to preserve them. So I went to those old DVDs and I pulled those out. And on In-Depth Sound Design, on the Instagram account and my uh, YouTube channel, I present them in a very palatable way, I think, that was missing from the old DVD special features. But anybody can watch them. And I find that even people that aren't, aren't even interested in film, much less sound, are entertained by these videos of like the T-Rex roar from Jurassic Park being kind of split apart into the 11 different animals that Gary Rydstrom used to create it. And just, you know, how Ben Burt created lightsabers and, you know, the blaster sounds and Darth Vader's breathing and things like that. So yeah, I I, uh, actually just did uh, an exclusive interview with Richard King, who is uh, Christopher Nolan's sound designer. And he's working on the movie Oppenheimer Mm. right now. 
but he's, he did Inception and Dunkirk and War of the Worlds and movies like that. So I'm working on a video right now and I'm going to release that soon where I'm basically sitting down with Richard King and we're taking apart sounds from the, the film Inception. So I'm really excited to release that. And uh, yeah, I think anybody interested in sound design or just filmmaking should go check it out. Surely it does. It's it's really impressive. And the quality with which you made those, I don't know how you have time, but uh, thank <laughs> yeah, you. That's, yeah. well, by the way, I don't anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you'll notice maybe I haven't released a video in a few months, but thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, I was the head of post-production at a, at a post-media company. So I, I do have a lot of video experience. It's actually specifically how I hired Anthony to mix stuff at my company. And then that's when we really started just to flesh out our how we met story. That's when we worked on the movie 1922, the, the Stephen King film. So uh, yeah, yeah. So my background in video is what also motivated me to do that in-depth sound design YouTube channel. Yeah. Everybody go to what what is just uh, sound in-depth sound design. Yeah, I mean, if you want to check it all out, it's indepthsound.com. And that has the links to all the different accounts that I have. But the main thing is youtube.com slash in-depth sound design or instagram.com slash in-depth sound design. Great. Cause the last thing I always do on the show is since a lot of our listeners are music oriented people, I always ask our guests, like, what is one of your favorite top to bottom records oh. like that you listen to? That's like the full thing. Why are you doing this to me? You're killing me. Do you you should have hour? told me this before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is another hour-long conversation. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Let me pull up my Spotify. Let me look up real fast. I got As I'm actually, I'm sitting here next to all my records. I got to figure that out. Oh, geez. Everybody knows Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. That's like my favorite. That's one of my favorite albums of all times. So. <laughs> Rick Rubin. <laughs> you were just, you just got that in London, right? I, yeah, I was just in London. I was record shopping in London and spent way too much money oh. in, <laughs> in London. <laughs> um <laughs> The uh, no, the BC boy. There's an exhibit right now in LA, uh, Beyond the Streets, and they're having some of the original lyric books by the Beastie Boys and all you know, all sorts of old photography, props from music videos and stuff like that. And so, of course, they have records. And so, I bought this is like the 30th anniversary, but Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys is my favorite record, one of my favorite records of all times, top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Mike? I mean, I have an immediate answer and I alluded to it before, but it's uh, Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral. I love that. Just for some background on it, that's the song, that's the album that the song "Hurt" is on. That people, a lot of people think that Johnny Cash wrote "Hurt," and that's Johnny Cash's song. That was originally a Nine Inch Nails song that was written in the nine, early '90s, and uh, that's the song that closes out the record. But that that album is such an adventure. That album absolutely changed my life. What primed me for that was my dad played me like a lot of really weird stuff when I was a kid that that he heard off the college station near us at uh, KLSU in Baton Rouge. And then I kind of gravitated toward the Star Wars movies with their the organic kind of electronic sound design aspect to that. And then that kind of led me up to The Downward Spiral, which is very similar. It's very, it's very electronic, but very organic and very raw. I, I would also say that's also my sound design style as well. So it's such a massive influence uh, on me. And yeah, I'd recommend it to anybody because it just goes through so many different moods and soundscapes and there's something for everybody on that record for sure it was so radical when it came out i remember it was just it blew my mind yeah so that's a great recommendations so um thank you both for coming on and uh sharing all your experience and it was lovely to have you yes thanks rebecca thanks so much that was really fun 
Hey, everyone. Big news, cool news. Take advantage of what I'm about to say. El Acoustics is offering four training certification grants for the second year in a row now, and everyone knows they have great sounding rigs. They've revolutionized Pro Audio with their line source systems, and now it's your big chance to take advantage of our partnership. So they're giving away four certification grants so you can get credentialed on their unbelievable gear. And one of the things about El Acoustics is they've been committed to using the scientific method from the get-go to shape their innovations. So don't miss this. For more information, go to soundgirls.org and type in grant in the search bar. All the details about who's eligible are there. Looking for more audio-related podcasts? Check out our friends at the Audio Podcast Alliance. To see all of the other podcasts in the Alliance, make sure to visit audiopodcast.org. The executive producers of the Sound Girls podcast are Becky Campbell and Susan Williams. This episode was produced by me, Rebecca Wilson, and edited by Robbie Mortimer. Our theme song was written and recorded by Jess Fenton. And we send a big thank you to our sponsors, QSC, who, like Sound Girls, also wants to help empower you with the right tools, support, and service to help you create impactful connections. Find out more at soundgirls.org and qsc.com.